everyone, welcome to episode 56 of No Meat Athlete Radio. I'm Matt Frazier with Doug Hay, and today we've got an interview with uh, my friend Robert Cheek, known as the world's most recognized vegan bodybuilder. <laughs> uh, that really is his title, Doug. Is it? I don't know why you're laughing at that. Yeah. Well, I'm sure he is. I'm sure. <laughs> I think he is. I mean, the world's most recognized vegan bodybuilder, it's, uh, I guess, very subject- subjective, so it wouldn't be too hard to... I'm going to call myself the most recognized something. You should. What? You, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Most recognized nomad athlete guy. You are well. You're the nomad athlete, right? right that's, I love that title. <laughs> okay, so anyway, uh, it's a good interview. It's fun. We did it a couple days ago, actually. Uh, but Robert is a fun guy, always really inspiring and motivating. But anyway, before we get to that, we thought we'd just mention a few things here and take a question. Um, let's see. We've got the Right and Run Thirty One Challenge, which by the time this thing airs which will be right after Super Bowl probably, um, will be in February. So we'll be we'll, we'll be done. This is our 30th. No, today's the 30th, right? Yeah, today's the yeah. 30th. So, this, yeah, so we have one more day after this, and then Write and Run 31 comes to a close, which is writing and running every single day in the month of January. How's it been going? Have you done it every single I've, day? I haven't missed once. Yeah, it's been great. That's great. And, yeah, it's it's. I really like this 30, like 30, just do something every day for a month as a way of getting back into something like i don't i don't try to i guess with writing people say it's good to do that every single day right but i don't even i don't think running every day is particularly good as far as training goes but just for getting back into something a commitment like that where you say i have this end date in mind and it's going to be whether it's 10 days or 30 days or whatever it is and then just doing something every single one of those days i think is such a good way to get back into something and it doesn't have to be a lot like i started with 20 minutes and have been adding five minutes a week but you don't even have to add. You can just do something for 15 minutes a day, and, and uh, that's not that's not bad. So what happens on day 32 for you? Uh, I take a break, yeah. I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll probably take a big break from both. And I know a lot of people have been talking about, like, what are we going to do for February? So maybe we'll have something else, and maybe just shifting to do something else will feel like a break. Right. Um, but I don't have any desire to do, like, a year-long run streak or anything crazy. Yeah. I think some people in there do want to do that the whole year, which is awesome. Like, I think that's mm-hmm. fantastic that that they do but i'll be ready for a break but what i really want to do actually is is use this momentum to actually sign up for a marathon in the spring probably and then hopefully run an actual fast one in the fall but i don't know i keep talking i keep like threatening to sign up for a marathon and I don't actually get to the point of doing it but i feel like this would ah, be the this perfect- is like this is like your advice <laughs> 101 this is that's habit and goal setting advice for dummies is you're not even following it What's no well, i know because i am because i don't like I've in the past few years have stopped using the sign up for something so that you're committed to it idea. Okay. Like I feel like that's sort of forcing a goal in yourself. And I, for me, I know it's a good goal when I, I just get obsessed with it and I'm just researching it on the internet and I'm looking like crazy at what marathon to race in and planning a training plan, like all that stuff. And if I'm not doing that, I feel like it's kind of artificial and I'll still sign up. If I sign up for it, like I might still go through the motions, but it's just not going to be yeah. what I want. So I don't know. Maybe that's just a, an excuse or a rationalization but i don't know i'm just feeling more now like i really am excited and that's these like i said these 30-day things they just kind of do that it's it's nice that you can not be particularly excited about something and then the simple act of doing it can make you excited about it right i'm always surprised by that but uh it's it seems to be true very often cool. so been doing that been using the garmin vivo fit which i've been doing that 
series of sponsored posts on the site. Uh, this is not a sponsored podcast episode. It has nothing to do with that, but I did think I'd mention it because it's kind of a cool little device. Very, very simple. Keeps track of your steps and keeps track of your calories in, I guess. It estimates that. Mm-hmm. Mileage. No, I'm sorry. Calories out. Um, mileage. All the you know, basic, simple stuff. It's extremely simple. There's one button on it, and I like it. It's a little bit too simple for me. Like I think when I'm done this, I'll probably get something that does a little bit more, like maybe heart rate or something. But uh, it's been cool. It's been fun to see my steps, and, and I wrote a post, a little, I guess my last post was uh, about how looking at the steps has made me realize how just how much running does for you in terms of your total steps each day. Like, it, it now represents over half of my day's steps. So that's such a huge difference. In ter- like, if you're just viewing fitness is is equal to or proportional to the number of steps you take each day, right. which isn't a, a horrible measurement of fitness, I don't think. I mean, you're not talking about elite level weightlifting or racing or anything, but just like how, how are you healthy as far as your lifestyle goes? If you look at your steps each day, that's not a bad marker of a bad measure. I don't think. So it's interesting that just a simple half hour run for me doubles my number of steps in the day. And it's like, that's so little effort to do. And just kind of makes me even more excited about it or more, maybe not excited, but more, uh, feeling like running is really an important thing to do. And it's not something that I should just like take two months off of when I don't feel like it. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's yeah. good. I, uh, I was looking at the no mean athlete Instagram account the other day after that post that, so after the, that post was shared on Instagram and reading some of the comments and people's, uh, daily step counts are massive, like 20, 30,000. <laughs> really? Yeah. People were, were saying that they never go to bed before, unless they reach 20 or 25,000 steps. Wow, um, what do they which, do? I, you know, I guess just exercising. Or one person was saying that they, um, I don't know, they were like a, a mailman or something like that. You know, so they mm-hmm. were walking around all day for their job, and they would always reach at least twenty thousand steps and stuff like that. That which, would be like eighteen miles or something. Because most when I do ten thousand, it seems to be my goal. Like where I actually, the Garmin sets a goal for you each day based on your previous few days uh-huh. amount of steps, which is kind of a neat feature. But um, it seems like most of the time that goal falls around 10,000. Right. And I feel like that's a nice, you know, the jump from four digits to five digits is a nice thing to try to hit. So that's nine miles? No, that ends up being six. Six miles. So if people are, are I don't oh, know, doing like 30, 20, 30, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. that, so but that's a lot of miles. That is a lot Every of miles. Every single day? I mean, that's that's pretty crazy. Yeah. If, if anybody listening does those kind of steps every day and <laughs> has one of these things and does that, I'd like to hear what they do. I would too. I mean, I can't, it's hard to imagine what you would do. I mean, I mean, I guess if you ran for an hour a day, then you're starting to jump up in the yeah. 15 plus thousand. So maybe people do that. Maybe other people have, I, mean, I guess like if you're a school teacher, I would imagine you kind of yeah. walk around uh-huh. a lot. Uh-huh. I don't know. Well, so I don't think I'm any good anymore. 10,000 is not as good as I well, thought Well, it seems it like a lot to me. <laughs> it does. And actually most days it's like twelve or 13,000. But I did wear the, the iFit device when, like, right before the runner's world event that mm-hmm. we we had there and and i was i mean i was struggling to get six thousand if i wasn't running yeah if you're not running it's really hard to get over 10 for sure mm-hmm. all right cool so that is garmin let's get to this question from is it paul paul yep yeah paul let's get to his question and then uh california we'll get to the interview shortly thereafter all right hi guys my name is paul dylan from riverside california um, I love the show, the podcast, the blog, everything you guys have done. You've definitely made my transition to being a vegan athlete a lot easier and better. So I appreciate all the work. Uh, I have a two-part question. First is I've been starting to crank my mileage up when running. 
upwards of like 15 to 20 miles. My question is about fueling. Uh, if you guys have any tips, I feel great till about mile 10, and then my energy starts to plummet, so obviously I'm not fueling properly. Uh, my second question is actually a little bit more important than the first, just because of uh, what do you guys use to hold the fuel? Do you guys have any type of um, special running belts or any gear that holds whole foods, or is it just mainly uh, liquid fuel? I appreciate all the help, and thank you guys. Keep up the great work. All right, Paul, thank you for asking a question, and it's a good one. Um, I think where you're, where you are starting to feel tired is exactly where you would start to feel tired if you're not fueling properly. Because that's like, I mean, 10 miles, I don't know what his pace is, but that's probably an hour and a half into the run, maybe an hour 20. I don't know if he's running nine to 10 minute miles. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's roughly where your body does run out of its glycogen stores. So I don't know. It, I doubt, uh, I doubt Paul that you are not fueling at all. Cause it sounded like you were kind of making an attempt at it, but I know if you, if you're not fueling at all, that's kind of what happens. That's when you hit the wall. Uh, particularly if you're doing anything that is of a high intensity. I mean, if you're just running at a really slow pace, I think, especially if you're not a new runner, which I know you are a new runner. Um, if you're not a new runner, I mean, you can, you can, your easy pace can maybe take you much further than an hour and a half on little to no fuel. But if you're, if you're pushing the pace a little bit, and if you're a new runner, then certainly you can run out then. So, um, I mean, I don't know, like my, my approach to fueling is very, very basic. I, I like to bring some sort of sports drink with me, either, we can talk about how we carry it in a minute, I guess, because that was the second part of your question, but some sort of sports drink. Uh, I enjoyed using heed when I was training for my hundred miler. I found that I could go all day with that and uh, not have my stomach get upset. But for, for half marathon or less, I don't think it really matters. It doesn't matter to me what I'm drinking as far as sports drink, as long as it's vegan. Uh, hopefully something sort of natural, but like, uh, if you're talking about everyday training, if you're just talking about your long runs or just your races, I don't care that much about natural then because you're just, it's such a small fraction of your days that you're actually drinking this. So, um, sports drink is good. If, if I'm going for a run for 10 miles or less, then that's that's all I will usually bring. But if you want something with it, oh, and by the sports drink, you can also, you don't have to do, you don't have to buy this stuff. If you want to just mix fruit juice and water, like one-to-one ratio with a pinch of salt in there, that will make you a pretty good, simple sports drink. Uh, and there that recipe, along with another one, is in my book. Uh, but they're, they're all over the place. You can just Google homemade sports drinks and you'll find stuff. Datorade, people call it, some of them. What do they call it? Datorade. Datorade? Yeah, where you like blend dates and oh, lemon oh, right. juice and okay. stuff. Okay, I get it. Uh, yeah, so that's what I do. And if I'm going to bring something, usually it's dates, just fresh dates uh, with the pits in them. They're, they seem to be softer and better tasting than, than the ones that are pitted ahead of time. Mm-hmm. So that's that's really what I do. Like, I mean, if, if you're getting into ultramarathon and stuff, then of course it gets more complicated. But for that type of run, usually just a sports drink and maybe a few dates. Yeah. What about you? I'm not I'm not too into the sports drinks. I did heed for the 100 miler and I've done it for some ultras, but that was more about a necessity than than because I enjoyed it. Um so, you know, I I've always been one to carry energy gels. Um the the cliff cliff shots and cliff blocks are are vegan, so that's a good option for people. Um and then the, the there's a something called pocket fuel naturals. Have you heard of that? No, I've not. It's like a nut butter based um, mm-hmm. energy gel, so it's a lot thicker uh, and a lot higher calorie. But they're they're really tasty, and they come in little packets like an energy energy gel, and it's it's all natural. Uh, so, which is a good alternative to something hmm. like a Cliff Block. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, so I like to do those, and then I've I've definitely run with dates a lot. I've done, um, I don't know, I've done sweet potatoes, dried sweet potatoes, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think that that's a that's a good place to start. I would also just say that making sure that you're drinking enough, because that's I think that's a big thing for for me is I start feeling really lethargic when I get dehydrated. So uh-huh. um, you know, even if it's just an hour and a half of running or something, and you don't really need to eat anything you know if i'm not drinking anything then i'll really struggle a lot more right also paul there is uh there's a post on my site i wrote a series of posts a long time ago about eating and drinking before during and after your workout so if you google that you'll like no meat athlete what to eat before workout you'll find that post uh the main guideline in there was 30 to 60 or i'm sorry you don't want before you want during uh, but but your beforehand nutrition also is going to make a difference. Like if you if you start eating dates, I don't know, twenty minutes before your run, that energy will be av- available very early in the run. Yeah, definitely. Um, may not quite address the issue you're talking about, which is running out of energy. But anyway, uh, thirty to sixty grams of carbohydrate per hour is the general rule of thumb. If I mean, if you're stopping your run fairly soon after your body's using up its initial glycogen stores, then I, I don't know that that. Uh, guideline really matters that much, but it's, it's probably not a bad place to start. So just a, ra- a general range where you want to be experimenting within. Dates are usually about 15 grams of carbohydrate per date. So that's that's just the rule I use, two to four of those per hour uh, if you were doing a sustained activity. Uh, so that's, that is that. And so I don't how, know. How about equipment put? for? Equipment for carrying stuff. That's a good question. Um I mean, honestly, what I've usually used for carrying, I, I use a handheld bottle, which is the bottle that straps to your hand with the Velcro strap so that it's just a little bit easier. Or actually, not even Velcro. The one, the one I have is a, uh, what's the name? Nathan Quick Draw, I think. And there's no mm-hmm. Velcro. It's just a strap you put your hand into. Yep. Um, so, I mean, that's that's nice. I remember it was really annoying at first to use those handhelds. I thought it was like, I don't know how you carry this and stop thinking about it in your hand. But <laughs> I just did it in one race, and then I was used to it after that. So that's a nice way to carry fuel with you on the run. Um, I mean, usually if I'm going for like a, I don't know, seven miles or less, I will not bring that. I'll just do it. with. And I feel like not having water for a run that might be seven miles or less, especially if it's not particularly hot, can kind of train you to not need quite as much. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know. I don't know about the truth behind that, but I've heard things that that just, you know, point to the fact that you can, you can definitely require less carbohydrate as you get better at it. I don't know about hydration, but I have heard that, I don't know, some things about elite runners that they tend to not even need that much hydration mm-hmm. but I've anyway heard, i've also heard things about pushing your you know running out of yeah, that it's good to run out of those stores too. yeah I, I, have I don't to. know how much of that's true but i don't either and i feel like it's kind of not worth the risk <laughs> and it just it just happens naturally if you just keep running over right, the years right. so i don't i don't know that it's worth forcing it um anyway though back to back to equipment so a, a handheld bottle and usually they'll have a pocket in them so sometimes that's large enough to carry a gel or a couple dates if that's all you need uh i've been using a spy belt which is SPI belt and just holds little things. Usually I put the dates in baggies. Uh, and I mean, even they'll fit in running shorts pockets too. If it's just a, a short run, you, you need four or fewer dates. I'll just put those in running shorts pockets inside of a plastic baggie. Uh, so really nothing, nothing uh, super crazy there. And then I have a pack, a Nathan pack that I use actually more often than putting water in. I use it to just take the bladder out and fill up with food and stuff like that. If it's a really long run mm-hmm. uh, and then use the handheld still for the, for the water so yeah pretty straightforward there yeah yeah similar i use an amphipod amphi pod um bottle a handheld bottle and i have a i have two sizes one is the regular maybe 18 ounce or 20 ounce something like that that most bottles are 
but then another a smaller one that's that's like pretty small maybe 12 ounces or something and if if you're on the roads and you have access to water fountains or you know bathrooms or something like that throughout a park or some, you know, then and, and you could fill up your bottle then that would be a great option for not uh, having this right. big bottle you have to lug around yeah and then the belt i use is is the jerk essentials uh from ultimate direction and it's a scott jerk signature belt um that just has a couple pockets and and rides really well so i like that and yeah i have a pack for for longer ultra distance stuff but I'd say start with those two things. If you had if you had those two things, you can go pretty far with with just a bottle and a belt. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Do people still use the fuel belt things where there's like four or five of those bottles around your waist? Yeah, you know I think they use them um, if they're with team and training. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> Sorry if I we offended anyone. You know I don't see those very often. Though. Yeah, I don't. They were terribly uncomfortable. Yeah, back I, in the early 2000s is when I used that and I hated it but it I used it for one like waist. 20 mile run and chafed so bad and never <laughs> wore it again yeah they're not very comfortable but it seems like that is stuff that's come a long way they do they do have belts now that hold a regular sized bottle like yeah, in the back I've and, seen and I see a lot of those yeah I think they've gotten much better at making that stuff not mm-hmm. shake up and down and all that yeah um so anyway hopefully that helps you there Paul um as I said, I mean, you can, there's, this information is all over the place. You can start with what's on Nomi Dathy, but uh, if you Google that, you'll you'll find far more in-depth answers. But that's what we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if you have a question like Paul, just uh, you can call the hotline, the Nomi Dathy Radio hotline. That's 951-666-3281 or 951-NOMI-1. So we love t- answering these calls, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. So um, we'll get to this interview with Robert here. Last thing I want to mention before we do that is uh, the cruise that Robert and I actually mentioned at the end of our interview. And we mentioned it earlier on, too, uh, because he's going to be there, and so am I. It'd be good to catch up with him. And uh, that's the Holistic Holiday at Sea Cruise. I don't earn anything for getting people to come on it, uh, but if you if you do search for that, uh, we'll put the link in the show notes, but if you, if you do book your room, it, by the way, it's in March, uh, I think it's March 14th through 21st, uh, and if you book your room through the link that I give you, like I said, I don't earn money for it, but you'll get, I think, like a $50 onboard credit or something with certain restrictions. Uh, but anyway, it, it's I'm really looking forward to it. It's not it's not just a cruise that happens to have vegan food, which it, it does have that, and even, even has an oil-free option if you're into that. Um, but it's just like, I mean, it's, it's a whole cruise that is designed around these activities, that is uh, talks. There's tons and tons of speakers on there. I think Dr. Campbell and Dr. Esselstyn are on there, uh, among many, many others. And yoga classes and workouts and just all kinds of stuff around the plant-based diet and fitness and health. So uh, it's it, I, I'm looking forward to it. My whole family is going to be there, and uh, I don't know. It's I mean they're paying for me to come, so I just want to help promote it. So uh, if you're looking for something to do in March and you want to come hang out on a boat with me and Robert Cheek and many others, then uh, there you go. It's called Holistic Holiday at Sea. But like I said, we'll put the link to my particular page in the show notes, so it'll give you some kind of code or something to get that onboard credit yeah definitely sounds super cool it will be. anything that i go to really is usually <laughs> anything just, yeah always yep all right let's get to it um enjoy the interview this is a good one so i uh, hope you like it hey everyone it's matt frazier with 
a special guest today on No Meat Athlete Radio. He's a friend of mine. He's been on the podcast before, way back in the early days. In fact, it may have been one of the very first episodes. Uh, I don't think it was the first, but but very early. His name's Robert Cheek, uh, very well-recognized vegan bodybuilder, author of the, his first book, Vegan Bodybuilding and Fitness, and more recently, actually just last year, came out a new one called Shred It. So Robert, thank you very much for joining us today. Matt, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Great to be back. It is. It's always good to talk to you. Uh, I always I always learn a lot, and I always find myself uh, walking away from our conversations with a little bit of renewed enthusiasm, motivation that has that always seems to uh, rub off of you, which is good. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, and that's really what I go for. You know, I like to share that inspiration, enthusiasm. You know, that whole theme of follow your passion, make it happen. Uh, so uh, I'm glad to hear that that comes through. So thank you. Sure. Yeah. And, and I love that stuff. And I love that uh, in this new book of yours that that made it in, I think it's the very first chapter or one of the early chapters. Exactly. Uh, yeah. That's all. It's about goals and like getting the mental stuff in, in shape before you even start talking about calories and exercises and all that. And uh, I think a lot of a lot of people overlook that and they, you know, it kind of gets relegated to the self-help section of the bookstore. Uh, and we and we don't really think about it, or it sort of has a has I don't know we've it's, we've kind of given it a bad name, but I think that stuff is crucial, and uh, it's clear that you do too. Yeah, absolutely. I, in fact, I think that is probably the most important aspect of this new book. A lot of people have described Shredded as one third inspirational or motivational. The first third of the book, it's uh, even really beyond just uh, chapter two, which is uh, how to set achievable goals is uh, really the whole beginning of the book, the intro, the chapter one, chapter two, um, e- and even parts of chapter three, four, and five, they all set the tone that you really need to establish why it matters to you. you know, why does fitness matter? I mean, who cares about health? Who cares about fitness? Who cares about the environment, animals, anything else? And what we have to do is answer that for ourselves. And so my favorite part of the book is the... The, the opening part with the six questions that you have to answer, mm-hmm. like what goal do you want to achieve and be as detailed as possible in your answer and find a deep meaning behind it. Because I'm convinced that if we don't have a meaning behind it, a really deep meaning behind it, it's really easy to find reasons to do something else and give up, quit, move on uh, and maybe never pursue it or ever achieve it. So anyway, I think that's really important. So uh, I'm glad that resonated with you, too. Sure. Yeah, absolutely did. And uh, and that's, I mean, that's been for me what, I mean, the first time I saw you was at DC VegFest, you were speaking, and uh, the whole talk was just about those exact things and, and figuring out why you want whatever it is that you want so badly. Uh, I mean, it's obvious that you and I have read a lot of the same books and things like that. And, and we both know that that's like so important and people forget it. The why, like, why do you want this? Getting really clear on that and writing it down and whatever else you need to do to drive that into your head, that that's often way more important than the outcome itself. Right. I just came back from Florida. I had something like 15 events in seven days, by far the busiest <laughs> tour I've ever done in my life. I had four events in a single day. I had three events in a single day. It was very, very busy. And one of the things that I communicated to the audiences from city after city throughout central Florida was that, you know, if you really don't plan on answering these really important questions right up front, you know, don't bother even reading the book, because it doesn't matter what formulas you know. If you learn the specific strategies to burn fat effectively and build muscle efficiently, and you have the recipes and you have the meal plans and all of these tangible things that can change your life, but if you don't really plan to apply them, 
and use the 1,440 minutes we have each day to incorporate these strategies, then it doesn't work. I've argued many times that it really doesn't matter what you know, it's what you do. And it's not what we think we're doing, it's what our actions dictate that impacts our end result. And so I'm really big on um, answering these important questions and being very transparent and accountable and consistent about our actions that support this outcome, because I'm, uh, I'm pretty certain that that's the way to get to those end results. You've got to go through points A, B, C, and D in order to get to point E, which is our eventual success and destination. And it is, I'm telling you, Matt, this resonated with audience after audience after audience from the, the three months this book has been out touring in Australia, Canada, uh, and now Florida, and soon Arizona and a few other places, uh, including meeting up with you in the Caribbean shortly. It's just been, it's this common theme that really speaks to people is that this is the time, you know, this is the time to determine what you're, what you, what you are passionate about and don't let January 17th um, be the day that you give up on your New Year's resolutions, which is the most common day that people do that. You know, find meaning to stick with it day after day. And guess what? You adapt over time, you improve, you find more enjoyment, you succeed, you inspire others. It's just an incredible chain reaction. Yeah, it's funny. Like That's that's definitely, whenever I do talks and things like that, I always choose a motivation type goals type of topic. I mean, not to try to go out and motivate people, but uh, I just prefer to talk about those types of things then getting into specifics of diet just because I feel like people are all at different stages in those audiences and you never know like is someone you know way been vegan way longer than I am knows more about it than I do or is the person right next to them brand new and just got dragged here by a friend and like they don't they they need to be convinced basically that to even consider this again so I always like to talk about just that type of topic and then let people take it in their mind apply it to whatever whatever it is in their life that that matters to them at that moment and it sounds like you do something really similar yeah, I, I try to set a tone and then I give the very specifics like, okay, how many calories per pound are in these types of foods and how do these foods speak to our regular day, daily nutrition habits and how are they incorporated? For example, salad greens being approximately 100 calories per pound and oil being 4,000 calories per pound or vegetables 200 calories per pound, ice cream 3,000 thousand calories per pound. I paint this picture of how we can relate these foods and these quantities of, of nutrition to our daily lifestyle and what kind of impact this is going to have on our overall health and our overall fitness goals that we're striving to achieve. And it really, some of these uh, specific metrics and numbers and scenarios and formulas really speak to people and it it changes the way they look at food and it changes the way they look at fitness. But first of all, I always start with something like Mark Twain's quote that says, 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than by the ones you did do. And then I go on to give a few examples of how that, that rang true in my life from becoming vegan on December 8th, 1995, and what that did for me to when I really figured out how to burn fat and build muscle in the year 2000 and put on 28 pounds in 10 months and, and launched my bodybuilding career to when I hung up the bodybuilding trunks after about a decade and picked up running again and set a new course record on a three-hour timed race back in 2012 that still stands today, plus lots of other people's examples. But I do call upon my own and tell those first-person stories of what happens when you really do understand the formulas and then apply them day in and day out, and adaptation naturally happens as a result of consistency 
And these stories help inspire people. And it's really fun to then see people later on, months down the road, or get an email or a comment online about how they've taken that and applied it to their own lives and have succeeded in weight loss, in uh, greater strength, endurance, um, more fulfillment, that kind of stuff. So it's it's been a lot of fun to watch that happen. Good. All right. So I want to talk to talk about something that you just mentioned, which was your, your shift and your decision to uh, hang up the bodybuilding trunks, as you said. Um, that was something that actually you – I mean I, I always knew – and I think everyone knew you as the vegan bodybuilder. Uh, that was your your persona, and then one day I remember you came and visited me in Asheville. You stayed at our house for a couple of days, and you were eating all these bananas and all this all this fruit and fresh whole foods, and it was totally different from what I had expected. I mean, I I knew that you were kind of transitioning, and I knew, but it, it just like it was the opposite of what what a lot of the things you talked about in your first book, and a lot of what you think of when you think about a bodybuilder's diet, someone who's just trying to pack in calories, uh, however they can get them. So th- that shift is one that. I'm kind of undergoing something similar. Um, it's you know when I first went vegetarian and then vegan, it, I was still really focused on on performance and running, and I was trying to qualify for Boston and run these ultra marathons. And I wanted to eat in the way that would what I thought would maximize my performance, so long as it was vegetarian first and then vegan. Um, more recently, like having achieved the major stuff that I wanted to achieve, and there's certainly still plenty of things I'd like to do, but um, I think my my a bigger goal for me now than any athletic event is just health and long-term health and well-being. And that has changed a lot of my diet choices towards this whole food thing, cutting back on oil. Not, I'm not someone who eliminates it, but cutting back on, and just as much as possible, choosing whole and fresh and often raw fruits and vegetables. Uh, that's, that's how I saw you eating when you came in and stayed at our place. And I'm just kind of curious about like, like what prompted, not just the change from, I want to stop being a bodybuilder and start doing running and whatever else, um, but, but within diet, like, like why the change from the way you were eating to, to the, like what prompted all that to this more whole foods diet? Yeah, good question. And it's really a, it's a loaded question, but I'll kind of get right to the specific point that you mentioned. And I talk about some of the other psychological and emotional changes in my book. It's actually the most personal I've been in a long time, even though I use in this book, lots of case studies and transformation stories and meal plans and recipes and everything like that. I still have a little bit of a first person approach and sharing some personal things from my life that did change my shift in moving away from competitive bodybuilding and focusing like you on health and longevity and return on investment from the calories I consume and athletic performance and everything like that. And I'll tell you the nutritional change really started in 2011, 2011 when I worked with Forks Over Knives. The producer of Forks Over Knives invited me to work in their office. I, I hesitated, but I agreed to do it. I spent months working in Santa Monica. I helped launch that film, Forks Over Knives. I went on tour and shared the stage with Dr. T. Colin Campbell, Carl Esselstyn, Rip Esselstyn, all these um, experts, you know, these world-renowned experts in nutrition and science and the medical field, I mean, these top doctors and nutritional scientists and athletes and others. And it just started to speak to me. It started to resonate with me. I mean, imagine working for the film. I watched it over and over and over. And I was screening it for audiences. I was answering questions. And here I was, a former nearly 200-pound competitive bodybuilder who went from 120 pounds when I became vegan to nearly 200 pounds, won bodybuilding competitions, eating 
as many calories as I could, as you, as, like sure. you're fully aware. I mean, 18 tofu hot dogs in a day was my record. A dozen <laughs> bagels, uh, just packages of uh, veggie bologna and everything else. And, and up to seven cliff bars a day. And as, as many, uh, uh, just as many calories as I could wolf down. But then there became a shift of understanding the return on investment and net gain of nutrition and, and the calories per pound and the, and the um, and the nutrient density of food, and, and really understanding that vitamins, minerals, amino acids, fatty acids, glucose, complete protein, all of these things come in their original forms from plant-based whole foods. And when you eat the whole food, you get water, antioxidants, fiber, and all these different things completely intact in their original form. And you don't need to just load up on bagels and bread and sandwiches and all of this to get the calories when you can get the higher nutrition from fewer calories by eating more nutrient-dense foods. So that was all well and good, but it really, to be honest, the real shift when I decided to apply it full-time was when I took the T. Colin Campbell plant-based nutrition certification course through Cornell University, and I had to do research projects and assignments and tests and all this, and it challenged what I really knew and understood about nutrition and protein and calories. And I actually did a complete 180 in my approach to numerous aspects of nutrition. And so here I started probably around 2012, 2013. I have the date somewhere and I mentioned it in my book, but off the top of my head, I don't recall. But somewhere around that time, I decided, you know what, I'm just going to eat whole foods now. So I'm not going to use supplements or processed foods and just see how it goes. And sure enough, things went well. I maintained strength. In fact, I gained strength in some areas. I had outstanding performance results in endurance as well as bodybuilding type lifts and, uh, and putting on muscle and all those different things. And so I found that to work really well. And so I told Dr. Campbell about that. And, and he was the first person I actually told about this new book, Shred It, that I started two years ago. And he and others were mentors as I worked on this. And here we are two years later. Still eating. I've got two bananas right now. You can't see them. They're, you know, I've got bananas in my hand right here at the desk, and uh, and that's what I'm having after my workout. I don't, I don't have to go get a big block of tofu and and just uh, take it down in 30 seconds. I I eat a variety of fruits and vegetables, and I, I, I'm a big fan of yams and and other potatoes and lentils, beans, brown rice, quinoa, barley, leafy greens, um, avocado, and as many fruits as possible. And those are staples these days. Okay, good. And and so in your book, you write uh, as the ratio that I saw coming up over and over was seventy fifteen fifteen, uh, yeah. which is which is seventy percent carbohydrate, fifteen percent fat, fifteen percent protein, um, as opposed to like say the number that similar that people will be familiar with here is eighty ten ten because we talk about the fruitarian diet a, a good bit on this podcast, not because I am that, but because I tried it a little bit. Um, so that's, I mean, I think that's that's still a strikingly low amount of protein when when someone has never really looked at it this way before, um, or is comparing it to to a paleo type of diet or something. Um, but I, you know, I'm I'm glad to see that, and I think it's it, even the fat is pretty low. I mean, 15 percent is not a lot of fat. It, it's it's pretty easy uh, to get that in a day with without realizing it, right? Like, I mean, the food you exactly. eat without that, you don't even consider fatty food is going to end up having probably 5% of the calories coming from fat. So then add add an avocado and who knows what, especially if you're eating oil, a tablespoon or two of oil, and, and you're there. So that's that's not much fat. And what I'm wondering is about um, 
for people who want to gain weight, like someone who's who's a bodybuilder in the making, wants to put on muscle, um, or someone like me who's just is naturally skinny and like you know I've I've been successful at bulking up for sure in the past when I've done it, but when I've done it, it was it was that old way, drinking the thousand calorie fat shake every day, right. and and just eating as much as I possibly could, not caring about what it was, just because if if it was calories, it was good for bulking up. So once once you shift to whole foods and even oils out most i mean I don't, some people may want to leave it in but it, i think you're talking about leaving it mostly out um yep. so like what how are you keeping on weight or or even even more putting on weight if you're trying to do that um or have you found that you kind of go cuz i know you used to be a skinny guy before you before you got into bodybuilding have you started to move back towards that um you know cuz i got a cruise coming up in a few months and i'm trying to bulk up for it and uh <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure where to go. I don't want to eat unhealthily, but I also know that I need to eat a lot to get to, to put on weight. Yeah. Well, great questions. And I'm going to see you on that cruise. I'm looking forward to it. But here's – so first of all, Matt, let me back up for one quick second. Why 70-15-15? Why not 80-10-10 or something? Here's a really quick answer. 80-10-10, you're eating, you're eating mostly fruits and vegetables. The moment you add in – uh, beans, lentils, other legumes, nuts, seeds, any grains, you're just by default, your protein is going to be higher than 10%. It's just almost guaranteed. Mm-hmm. And so I found 70, 15, 15 to be more practical, more doable, more reasonable. I know 80, 10, 10 is attractive for a lot of people. And I, and I think it's, I think it's great. We know that our body only needs five to 10% of its calories coming from protein. And I just found that y- when you really look at it, it seems to be more practical, more reasonable, and appeal to more people to have a diversity of overall plant foods and, and therefore a diversity of nutrition and antioxidants and, and types of sources of nutrition when you do something more like 70, 15, 15. And we know that we eat 35% or more, or more fat as an American culture. We know our protein intake is, is uh, 40, 50%. It's, it's really high. I don't know what the exact... Uh, standard American diet averages are off the top of my head, though I address some of this in the book. But the fact is, a lot of our numbers are really high with protein and fats, and we know these can be problematic, and we're missing out on the absolute benefits of the high whole food carbohydrate-rich foods, complex carbohydrates from fruits, vegetables, um, legumes, um, grains, you name it. So that's why I went with the 70-15-15 approaches. It just seemed to be the overall healthiest and still meet all the standard requirements for nutrition and do it in a really um, easy and practical way for everyone. So how do, you, how do you bulk up eating this way? Well, I mentioned in the book that during the editing process, I gained about 10 pounds in 10 weeks. Um, I have taken a break from bodybuilding, and so naturally I – I got a little bit lighter. My body weight went down because I wasn't living a bulking uh, muscle type lifestyle. I just wanted to be fit. I wanted to be healthy, happy, and fit, and that's what I set out to do. But as I was writing the book and editing the book, and and honestly, I don't care how cheesy it sounds, I was getting really motivated by reading my own stuff. <laughs> it, it, I mean, really, I was. I, and just being totally yeah, honest. All these and different stories and things in there that are that are tremendous, like other people's transformation stories that are tremendously motivating, of course. Yeah, I was reading the book over and over and over, and I felt so motivated that you know what, I'm going to show that you can you can get bigger and stronger on 70, 15, 15 whole foods. And so I did pack on about 10 pounds in 10 weeks. And even recently, I just added more weight. I've been on tour. I told you in Florida. And I'm uh, a good 10 pounds heavier than I was 
during the summer when I was doing some 5Ks and half marathons, and I'm still eating the same way. So what I do in the book, Matt, is I break down these specific formulas. So one idea that I encourage people to do all over the world when I give these presentations is to understand what our own basal metabolic rate is and our, Har- and our Harris-Benedict equation number of caloric expenditure, because it really matters. It really it really matters. For example, I walk into an audience. You'd probably get a kick out of this, Matt. I, I, I walk into an audience and I say, hey, um, if any of you in this room have ever at, at any time in your life wanted to burn fat and lose weight, then clearly, clearly every single one of you obviously must know precisely based on your gender, age, height, weight, and activity level how many calories you're expending every day because that's the only way to know how many calories and from what sources – to consume in order to maintain weight, lose weight, gain weight. We have to have a baseline. We have to have this foundation to work from. Many of us just guess and, oh, we lose a little bit of weight here. We gain a little bit of weight here. We have no control over it. And so in the book, I give just precise examples over and over that make it very, very clear for burning weight, uh, sorry, for burning fat, for building muscle, for bulking up, whatever your objective is, it really matters to know what your real daily habits are, not what we tell ourselves, not what we put on Facebook as our status updates or Twitter uh, tweets and, and what we tell our friends and tell ourselves, but what we're really doing. And the moment we have some sort of uh, acknowledgement of accurate documentation of our caloric expenditure and intake every day, we can really play around with those numbers. And I give examples in the book that we don't all of a sudden, if we're trying to bulk up, say, okay, well, now I'm going to eat 20 or 30% of my calories from protein. We say, hey, uh, listen, we're still going to keep the 70, 15, 15 approach, but I'm going to eat one or two more sweet potatoes today. And I'm going to spread it out throughout the day. Or I'm going to have these numbers of whole foods that equate to an extra 500 calories. And, but it's coming from whole food sources, not refined uh, sugars and flours and high fatty foods, oils. Things will be stored as fat, but because I'm active, because I'm exercising, I'm eating whole foods, I'm going to up my caloric intake and allow myself to eat in a surplus of of my caloric expenditure. And over time, these metrics will balance out and allow me to bulk up and add muscle, add mass. And then when you do add mass, you can typically move more weight and you get stronger and that helps support those mass building efforts too. And it's a wonderful cycle that helps support one another. And I'll tell you, Matt, right now, I'm at a point where I'm as almost as strong as I've ever been. And I'm maybe 18 pounds lighter than the heaviest I've been as a bodybuilder. And I'm still lifting uh, very heavy weights. I posted recently online 900 pound leg press that I was doing um, decline barbell bench press 285 pounds seated dumbbell press, you know, for shoulders over your head with 90 pounds in each hand. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that I'm eating a high net gain nutrition and um, that I'm eating in a way that allows me to have a little bit of a surplus and continue to bulk up. So you can use those formulas in the book, especially in chapter five, that will that you can I mean, I'm telling you as a person, as a friend, you can go back and do and look over that chapter and apply that. And I guarantee you can have some results by the cruise time. You've got you've got a. You got what six weeks or something? So get to work. I think I have slightly more than that. I hope so. Yeah, you're right. Not much more. Maybe maybe eight. I don't All know. All right, get down to business, man. Come on. <laughs> no. um, yeah, you know I like that a lot. It, that it sounds so obvious when you say it, um, but I think I think it comes down to picking, you know, having a target like calorically, not just not just a target of I'm going to go to the gym and do this much, but saying uh, here's how exactly how many calories I need to get 
and of course, same goes if you're trying to lose weight. Um, sure. And then making sure that you hit that target and being precise. Instead of like my approach before when I've tried to put on weight has been like go to the gym and do these specific things, and then when it comes to diet, eat more. Like eat more calories. Like that's that's as specific as it gets. Just eat as much as you can. Um, and I think I think paying attention and actually trying to hit a number makes so much more sense. But uh, you're right. I mean, it's not. It's entirely obvious, but it's it's not the way that uh, by default I usually do it. So I think I think that's a, a great distinction there. Right. Um, and I, oh, go ahead. And I'd, like, I'd like to add this if I could that, um, and I give this in all my lectures, but I think it's profoundly important that I think perhaps the the number one issue here that holds us back is that we're overlooking and underestimating the value of how our actions compound. Mm-hmm. What what I mean by that is this. There are plenty of people who say, you know what? I work out all the time. How come I'm not getting bigger and stronger? And we completely forget about Fridays, Saturdays, weekends, parties, anniversaries, sick days, uh, stressful work days, travel days, holidays, the days gyms are closed. And for many of us, whether it's health-related or exercise-related, so either nutritionally or uh, specifically fitness-related, many of us – well-meaning, great intentions, have specific goals in mind, may spend four out of seven days a week working against ourselves, working against our goals, because we forget that, you know what? Hey, I I went on this cruise and I took a full seven days off. Well, that's a a pretty high percentage um, when it comes down to how that fits into a month and how that compounds into a year. And listen to this, for example, Matt. One example I really like to give is that uh, let's say based on an individual's uh, specific metrics, their gender, age, height, weight, and activity level, that person should be eating about, uh, let's say, 2,300 calories per day, okay, in order to maintain weight. And let's say this person wants to maintain or even lose a little bit, but they really don't know what they're eating. They guess and they're, they have kind of an idea, but when asked to put it to the test and document it for a week or two, it's revealed that this person who should be eating about 2,300 calories a day is eating more like 3,800 calories a day because they forget how many calories are in refined and processed foods like oils and chips and fries and, and junk foods that may be totally vegan. And we forget that this type of behavior day after day compounds. So we may look at it and say, okay, no big deal, a surplus of what is that, You know, 1,500 calories or so, but map that onto a week, you know, 10,000 or so, map it onto a year nearly half a million extra calories. And this stuff matters. And so when we do take uh, two, three, four, five days off a week, we have to remember that we also do the same during the holidays or during travels or vacations. And and so it's not that we just do it every once in a while. And, and that's why the documentation or just um, acute uh, transparency is really important for food and for fitness because oftentimes I found that no matter – how bad we claim to want to achieve something, many of us spend a lot of our waking moments working against ourselves and our ability to achieve those goals. And I think that may be the most overlooked and underappreciated aspect of health and fitness. I like that a lot. And and totally, in my own experience, um, can for me, that was when I went vegetarian and then vegan. I just realized that there were all these times when I wasn't eating junk food anymore simply because it wasn't available. So like parties, uh, you mentioned travel days, like just if we're driving somewhere with the family, it was just all these opportunities before to eat junk food that, that now kind of didn't exist anymore because there just weren't, 
there didn't happen to be vegan versions of that same junk food at the parties I was going to or at the restaurants we were driving by. Of course, nowadays, if you look hard enough, it's not that hard to find the vegan junk food. Um, but but just that's one of those things that just kind of by default changes, what, like you said, four days out of your week, perhaps. Um, it, it changes what, what options you have and kind of makes it automatically e- easier to eat healthy if you're being mindful about it, of course, and not, not just going the vegan junk food route. Yeah, and I and really at the end of the day, I think just awareness and and honesty about what we're, what we're really doing is key, and then we can change it. We can change our habits, change our behavior, and and as you know, I know you're big on habit forming and habit changing. The more we do this and commit uh, commit to doing this on a regular basis and incorporating it into our daily lives and adding deep meaning behind it and seeing the results, the more we're likely to do it over and over and over again. And the more we're likely to add more good food in, and therefore there's not room for a lot of bad food. And the more we find what our real passion is in exercise and fitness, then the more we'll want to do it every day because we crave it. We look forward to it. It makes us happy. Um, it's fulfilling for us. And I think those things uh, really have a lot of merit and, and make a big difference at the end of the day. Sure. Sure. All right, so um, I want to talk about quickly about the cruise and about the book too. But um, before that, I got one more one more selfish question for my own sake. Um, you mentioned sweet potato as like a food that you might add to help reach whatever your caloric goals are. Are there others that you have that are that are? I mean, because when I think about, it, I'm thinking of avocados and yeah, stuff that that while whole food is certainly not within seventy, fifteen, fifteen, or even close to that. Um, but sweet potato sounds like it would be closer to that than an avocado. Um, are there other other sort of just high impact foods calorically that uh, one who's who's trying to gain weight and, and hit caloric goals would would rely on, and, and someone who's who's uh, trying to lose the weight and hit hit caloric goals on the other side would would want to avoid? Yeah, exactly. And what you have to understand is the caloric density, how many calories per pound. And so when you look at the foods that are about 500 calories per pound, which again is fivefold times the amount for leafy greens. So it's, you know, it's, mm-hmm. that's a pretty good amount and twice the amount for most vegetables and almost double the amount for most fruits. So 500 calories per pound are foods like oats, brown rice, quinoa, barley, potatoes, yams, uh, a lot of starchy vegetables and grains. And those can be great foods. I mean, beans, lentils fall into that category. I mean, imagine how filling something like chili is or a soup that is full with with beans of all types and lentils. I mean, these are heavy and dense foods. I mean, they're heavy by weight. They're heavy by volume. They're heavy by um, satiety and, and, and how filling they are. And they're nutrient dense, too. And they still have a good amount of protein and a good amount of carbohydrate and and a balanced level of fat for the most part. So when you can look at those types of foods at 500 calories per pound. You can also look at foods like nuts and seeds that are approximately 2,500 calories per pound. So of course we want to watch out with the fat content, but, but this is where we can eat things like walnuts for omega-3 essential fats. We can eat hemp seeds and flax seeds and chia seeds for omega-3 essential fats, which may be low in some people's diets if they're not eating a lot of whole foods or a diversity of foods. So. When we're trying to bulk up, we need to look at these types of foods, nuts, seeds, legumes, grains, and starchy vegetables. Now, on the flip side, when we're trying to burn fat and trying to eat lower on the caloric density scale, what we want to do is eat a lot of leafy greens, eat a lot more salads, uh, and standard vegetables aside from the the tuberous root vegetables like potatoes and such that are a little bit uh, more calories per pound. What we want to do is focus on leafy greens, vegetables, and fruits. And these are incredibly nutrient dense. I'm, I'm sure most of us can argue and safely that leafy greens and fruits are probably the best foods pound for pound nutritionally. And the most vitamins, minerals, 
uh, antioxidants, uh, just bang for their buck, the, the best return on investment. So we can eat more of those foods. But one cautionary thing here, and I love to give these examples in my, in my talks and in my book, is that oftentimes we may pat ourselves on the back for eating a salad. Right. I mean, hey, I'm vegan for all these years, but maybe I maybe I don't eat salads very often. Maybe the last time I had one was October or something. <laughs> and so we pat ourselves on the back when we have a salad, which a traditional salad of leafy greens would be a few hundred calories per pound. Right. Now, what happens? I mean, sorry, a few hundred calories for the whole plate at 100 calories per pound. So this few hundred calorie dish. Now, if that is covered in an oily dressing, what we may do is pat ourselves on the back for eating a 1,000 calorie, 70% fatty food that's more fatty than a pizza or burger and say, hey, I had my salad today. I feel pretty good about that. Right. So we have to be really transparent. And this, and this happens. This happens to millions of people every day. There's millions of people who are on a health kick who say, you know what? I had a salad today covered in ranch, covered in, uh, in some sort of meat or vegan meat alternative and you know, heavily processed isolated soy protein or whatever the case is. And it's now turned into a high fatty food that we thought was a health food. So we have to just be uh, cautious when we enter into that category of eating on the lower caloric density scale with the ambition of, of burning fat and dropping weight. Just make sure we're not adding in any of those 4,000 calories per pound or 2,500 calories per pound uh, processed foods. Gotcha. Good. All right. So um, this crew is coming up. It's, uh, I, I believe there are still spots available if anyone does want to uh, join us. You don't, you don't know otherwise, do you, Robert, that it's full or something? I got an email, I think, in December that said it was getting pretty full. And, and now, what is it, late January, the day we're talking today? Yep. Uh, I haven't heard the, the absolute latest. I know I've been promoting it a lot, and I've, I've had a lot of feedback, people saying they're coming, that they've booked it and all of that. I have not heard that it's completely packed yet. And I know we're expecting nearly 2,000 vegans on this cruise with just an outstanding lineup. And this is my fifth year in a row, and it's the event that I look forward to the most. Without a, without a doubt, no question, this is the event that I, I look forward to the most for so many reasons. And uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, I am too. It'll be our first time going, and my entire family, including the kids, will be there. Uh, which, will, which will be interesting, taking a, a four-year-old and two-year-old on a cruise because – you know, bedtimes and all that happens, and that's that's a lot of times when the fun starts at cruises. So we'll see how that all goes. But uh, I'm just looking forward to to being on a cruise ship, having vegan food. I think that will be awesome. And uh, just, I mean, the talks, the the activities, the stuff that's going on. What's what's cool about it to me is that it's it's not just like you're not it's not just going on a cruise that happens to have vegan food on it. It's it's that it's this entire it's called holistic holiday at sea, and the entire thing is based around. Uh, the fact that everyone on this cruise is sort of interested in this lifestyle. So there's all kinds of yoga and fitness and talks by you and many other people. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a cool thing. I'm really looking forward to going and uh, it's in two months. I'm looking online. It doesn't look like it's full quite yet. I see that certain classes of, of tickets or room types are, are gone, but uh, it looks like there's still some spots. So uh, yeah. So if anyone listening to this is, is looking for something to do in March, I think it's the 14th through the 21st. Yes, it yep, is. That's it. Um, there's always this. You could come come hang out with me and Robert for a week. Yeah, and one quick note on that is that one thing people may not know is they've been doing this for 30 years. They they did this in a, in hotels in Florida before they ever got on the cruise. And I believe this is their 12th year uh, on the actual cruise now. But they've been doing this, this organization, a taste of org. They've been doing this uh, for uh, for decades, and they run a great event. There are 10,000 vegan meals prepared every day our own chefs are brought on this entire vegan 
uh, chef staff on there. And so there's five course gourmet meals for uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And there's also buffets. And so if you don't want to eat off the menu or you want seconds or thirds or fourths, uh, in the bulking case for those aspiring bodybuilders out there, um, myself and Derek Treesize uh, <laughs> definitely go for thirds and fourths. Um, there's buffets, and so you can just help yourself all the time. There's even you know midnight vegan pizza available. Uh, it's just such a there, there's social events, you know, vegan ice cream social, vegan pizza social, vegan cookies and and milk social every night with a thousand or more of us out on the pool decks hanging out, music, and of course the educational classes which there are over, well, I think well over a hundred different classes to attend, including fitness classes that I'll be doing and, and lectures and, and uh, Q and a and panel discussions and all of that. So outstanding lineup, De- definitely get online, look it up and see who's going to be there. The likes of uh, Dr. Campbell, Dr. Dr. Esselstyn, Dr. Greger, um, many athletes. So uh, it's a great place to be. Yeah. Should be fun. All right. So anyone interested, it's uh, it's a taste of health.org. Uh, or you could Google holistic holiday at sea, and uh, you could probably you could probably Google vegan cruise too, and you probably find it that way. Um, okay, so last thing, Robert, your book sounds. I mean, I've I've flipped through it a lot of times actually, um, but have yet to actually dive into a certain chapter. But you've you've given me a place to start now with chapter five. Um, for those who who are interested, because you've mentioned a lot of times about really cool things, and I should add to it that there's a lot of other neat stuff. Like the whole second half of it um, is is just a bunch of of really. I don't know. I don't know if it's reference material is the right word, but it's like there, there's a list of vegan athletes, and there's profiles of all these different vegan athletes. There's in the kind of appendix section uh, lists of of vegan doctors, vegan trainers, vegan RDs, community. So that if you need any of these things, uh, even in your particular geographic area, uh, it's just kind of a good place that all of it is compiled, as well as the, as I mentioned the uh, the transformation stories, the case study. So it's not just you saying what you think about nutrition. It's all these different people who've had success right. talking about what they did. So um so it where where can people get it if they if they want to yeah veganbodybuilding.com is uh, at the moment the only place to get it and that's deliberate and that's intentional and i you know i worked on this for two years and i really wanted to launch it before it's out on amazon and before it's everywhere else around the world i wanted to have it available through veganbodybuilding.com specifically so people can learn more about what i've been doing for the last two decades as a vegan athlete and so and so people People can learn more about our brand and our company and what we do and what the lifestyle is all about, where it's not just this book. I mean, this is a a lifestyle that I've been living for a couple decades and many others have, and my brand's been around for 13 years. And so even with celebrities and doctors and other people promoting the book, it all funnels back to veganbodybuilding.com, again, deliberately, because we have hundreds of vegan athletes featured. Uh, where there's only 35 featured in the book, there's hundreds on our website and there are thousands who are members of the website and who use our forums and our social media pages and who are part of very active and fast growing communities. And so right now it's on veganbodybuilding.com. And the thing that I'm most proud of, Matt, is the names that are on the book. I mean, the cover of the book, Dr. Esselstyn has the quote on the cover and on the back, Dr. T. Colin Campbell, Rip Esselstyn, Rich Roll, Brian Wendell, who created Forks Over Knives, Kathy Freston, author of three New York Times bestsellers. Uh, you have a quote in the inside. So does the Oregonian, Juliana Hever, uh, Def Leppard, Emily Deschanel. I mean, you name it. It it was two years in the making, and to have, um, for lack of a better word, you know, the blessing of of someone like Dr. Campbell, Dr. Esselstyn. I mean, it just it, that that means so much to me, and 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 having knowing that they've read it, they've endorsed it, they've thought it was a great idea, and there's 75 
meal plans and recipes and workout demonstrations and all the stuff that you mentioned too in the back of the book with all the other people where it's not just me, it's case studies and transformation stories and and other people sharing their lifestyle. Uh, it's been an incredible resource. And you know this came out in November. Matt, we are in our third printing right now. And I've toured in Australia, Canada, US and Caribbean is next. And it's just been, it's really taken off. And I think it's because it speaks to men, women, people of all ages. I think people from as young as 14 to 80 have ordered the book in, in person, had me sign it for them when I've been on tour. And it's been inspiring to see people embrace health and fitness in this enthusiastic way. Yeah, absolutely. All right, cool. So veganbodybuilding.com is the place to get it. Uh, it's called Shred It. And uh, Robert, this has been really fun. And thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Mag. Great to talk to you again. And thanks for having me back on, on the podcast and the radio. And uh, I really appreciate the opportunity. And I sincerely look forward to seeing you and your family in a matter of weeks. Yeah, me too. That'll be fun. All right. I'll talk to you later, Robert. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks, man. Have a All great right. one.